You are listening to the Pursuit Church Essay Podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. We are in week two of our series, One Minute After You Die. And, you know, I realize that death and dying is not really a a popular topic, not one that we really want to think about, but the reality is it's going to happen. We all have a day that we will leave this planet, and we need to think about it because what we think about eternity determines how we live today. What we think about eternity determines how we live today. And last week, we learned a few things about specifically that would happen right after we die. And we learned that there will be two final destinations. There will be heaven and there will be hell. That's it. Two choices, one or the other. Today, my subject is hell. So I want to start by asking you a question, and it might seem a little bit off topic, but have you ever wondered, what's the whole point of coming to church? I mean, I think all of us at one point or another in our lives have probably asked that question. What's the whole point of of getting up and getting all the kids together and doing all that and coming to church? Well, we were created for relationships, first with each other and then with our loving Heavenly Father, right? So one of the reasons we come to church is to have an opportunity to develop and find godly friendships. We all have friendships out in the world, like in the workplace, in the neighborhood, whatever. We have, we have friends like that. But in church, it's where you make friendships that are godly friendships. You learn together about what it's about to follow God and to follow this path with Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons that we come to church. But you also come to church to learn about biblical truth. The world has its own truth. His truth, her truth, Oprah's truth. We've talked about this before. There's somebody's truth somewhere. But you come here to the house of the one true God, to the house of Yahweh, to learn his truth. So first reason we come is we were created for relationships with each other and then also with God. So we need to know his truth. We need to know who he is. How How does he think? Not that we could ever figure that one out, but what does he want? Who is he? How is he? We learn about him in church. And you know, I know you're probably thinking, well, what does this have to do with hell, right? Stick with me. How are you going to learn about God, the truth about hell, heaven, if you don't come somewhere where you have a trusted person that will teach you biblical truth about hell? Biblical truth. And then also someone to help you kind of process it all, understand it and and put it together. You're not going to hear mysticism or some wackadoodle stuff like that when you come into this church. You're going to hear the truth with a capital T, biblical, godly truth. And we need to know that because God's truth is something you can hang on to. It's something that you can hold on to and you can depend on when this world has gone crazy, kind of like now. So today... I came up here to tell you the truth about hell because, listen to this, if you do not accept the reality of hell, we will never appreciate the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. 
You know, I think all of us, again, from time to time, have probably wondered why bad things happen for no apparent good reason, right? Who's ever wondered that in this house? I mean, if we're going to be honest, we probably all have, right? And, you know, like things like, well, why did that person get away with what they did? It was horrible. You know, or, or why did that happen to her? She was such a nice person. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or if we want to take it even closer to home and be a little bit more personal, why did that have to happen to me? All of us have probably asked that once or twice here and there, right? But the fact is, we live in a fallen, sin-filled world. I want you to know, John 12, 31 says this about the devil. He's the ruler of this world. Now, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that Satan has more power than God. That's not what that means. All it means is that he is behind every single bit of evil in this world right now. That's what he is about. But here's the good news. God has a plan for Satan and all of his evil. So the first point I want to share with y'all today is hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil and his evil. Hell exists for that. I want you to think about the enemy. He's not this little dude running around in a red suit with a pitchfork wreaking havoc here and there. That's not the devil. The devil is the embodiment of all evil. He is the encapsulation of all evil in this world. He's behind every single addiction, every single fear, every bit of abuse, emotional, mental anguish. He's behind that. All shame, rejection, all of that comes from the prince of darkness. And scripture has a lot of names for him, heavy names. Scripture calls him the destroyer, the deceiver, the dragon, the prince of darkness, the wicked one, the tempter, your enemy. The Bible says clearly in multiple places, he is our enemy. He is not our friend. We cannot fall in love with the ways of this world because he is the ruler of it and he is not for us. He is totally against us. And he is the father of lies. The father of lies. Satan is the thief that comes to steal your joy, to kill your faith. God forbid you have any faith. He wants to kill it and to destroy your health. John 10.10 tells us that whatever good's in your life, he's here to steal it, to kill it, to destroy it. His plan, and and this is a lot, y'all. I want y'all to really hear this. His plan is to ruin you financially, to obliterate your marriage, to destroy and kill your children. That's his plan. But the good news is, that's a lot of dark, but the good news is God has a plan for him. Hell exists to deal righteously, for God to deal righteously with Satan and all of his evil. John said this about Satan in Revelation 20.10. He said, and the devil who deceived them, again, a liar, who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Do y'all know what sulfur smells like? Okay, burning sulfur, sulfur, a lake where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They were tormented day and night forever and ever. 
So why does hell exist? For God to deal righteously with Satan and his evil. Hell also exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. That's hard. And this is where the truth with a capital T gets a little complicated. We have to know who God is. God is good. He is perfect. He is sinless. He's righteous. We have to remember who God is. He is the judge of right or wrong. So I want you to hear this. This is going to sound a little bit like how much wood can a wood chuck, chuck, but just stick with me. God doesn't do something because it's the right thing to do. God doesn't do something because it's the right thing to do. No, 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 no. The right thing is only the right thing because God does it. He is righteous. He's righteous. You know, man, we make our own rules, right? We make up our own rules, our own societal mores, our own expectations, and they are subject to change based on the winds of political stuff, based on economic. They're subject to change. Mankind's rules and expectations are always subject to change. They're fluid. So whenever we expect God to live up to our rules, our expectations, then he doesn't, or if he doesn't, then we start thinking wrong thoughts about him. Think about that. Let me give you an example. So as humans, we all seek justice, right? We all want somebody to pay for the wrong that we see. There are entire movements that are created to fight against injustice, right? Yet, some of the same people who so vehemently argue for justice for humanity Those are some of the same people who also argue for a God of mercy and love, but one without justice. Remember, our justice isn't the same as God's. It's because our justice is not God's justice. So we start trying to reshape and remake God into what we think he should be so so that we can justify our behavior. That's hard. It's hard. We all love the idea that God is merciful and he's loving and he's compassionate, right? But then what happens is this. We expect him to be soft on sin. If God's loving and merciful, I mean, he's not going to be that hard, is he? We expect him to look the other way on some things. Again, so we can justify our behavior. But here's what we have to understand. It is impossible for God to be holy without him being just. Let me, let me explain that. Holy means separate, set apart, perfect, sinless. Sinless is holy. Just means that he's consistent. He's virtuous. He's innocent. God is always right. So it's impossible for God to be holy without him being just. So he must punish wrongdoing. That's his law. Look, as humans, we're partial. We're partial. We think that, you know, some people are worthy of more grace and more mercy than others. That's humanity. We're partial. We have our own idea of right and wrong. 
But God's not partial, y'all. Thank God he's not. He's not partial. Because if he were partial, I wouldn't be standing here. I might be six feet under, y'all. He's not partial, and we need to be glad he's not partial. Romans 2.11 says that God is no respecter of persons. No respecter of persons. He don't play favorites. We play favorites, but he doesn't play favorites. He doesn't cut some people slack and other people not because he's not partial. Thank God. That's good news to me. I'm like, thank you, Lord. And, you know, we have a hard time considering this place called hell. We have a hard time thinking about it because we think about God as loving and merciful and good. We have a hard time thinking that there really is a place called hell. Because, again, we're partial. We want our own system of justice. So let me just tell you an example of what I'm talking about when I say it's hard to consider this place called hell. So my brother, he was the funniest guy. My girls, Pastor Bob, they can all tell you, he was funny. You couldn't even sit down for him with two seconds without him literally cracking up and then continuing to laugh, hardcore belly laughs. He was very funny. He was um, jovial, and he loved my daughters so much. He loved my grandkids. He was so kind to them and so sweet to them. You know, he was taking care of my mom as she got older, and he would cook for her. He was a nice person, right? And when he died, he was only 58 years old, and I was totally devastated. But here's why. Of course, I was going to miss my brother. But I was really devastated, y'all, because he was an unbeliever. My brother, my only brother that I love so much, was an unbeliever. My mom had tried, oh my gosh, over the years, multiple times to, to tell him about Jesus and the love of God and, and to, to convince him that there is another way. Jesus brings salvation. My mom tried, and you know, it was even at, you know, when my mom died at the funeral and the time that I spent with my brother, I had a couple of really God-ordained moments where I got to share with him again the goodness and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And I remember... At my mom's funeral, my brother was very sick. He had pneumonia, and he was in a wheelchair. And I said, hey, hey, Bubba, can I pray over you? And he looked at me, and he's like, no, nah, man, I don't want none of that. And I was like, no, I, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I'm going to lay my hands on you, and I'm going to pray over you. And he said, look, you pray all you want, but I don't believe in any of that God mess. He actually used a stronger word than that. But that's what he told me. And those words, man, they crushed me. They crushed my heart for two reasons. Because I knew that he had been given multiple, multiple, multiple opportunities to receive Jesus as his Savior. And I knew that he had rejected him. And as far as I know, he died an unbeliever. Now, again, I know God hears our prayers and I pray for that boy. I pray for that boy like nobody's business, especially when we had that last conversation. I really prayed hard for him. Pastor Bob prayed for him. My girls were praying for him. We prayed that he would come to Jesus. We prayed for that. And I don't know, maybe in the moment that he died, he had a moment of clarity. Maybe he turned it around and maybe he gave his life to Jesus. I don't know that and I will not know until I'm on the other side. But as far as I know, he died an unbeliever. So what I'm about to read to you is extremely difficult for me to read and it's difficult for me to even think about, but it's the truth with a capital T. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. It says, When the Lord Jesus appears suddenly from heaven 
in flaming fire with his mighty angels, bringing judgment on those who do not wish to know God or who refuse to accept his plan to save them through our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished in everlasting hell, forever separated from the Lord, never to see the glory of his power. Now, I didn't, I didn't come here to talk about turn or burn, get right or get left. That's not my goal today. My goal is to expose the enemy of our souls. But this is the scripture. This is fact. This is truth. But I want you to notice one thing, and it popped out to me a few minutes ago when I was in the office reading through and studying. It says that when, when Jesus comes, then judgment comes. We are not in the dispensation of judgment right now. We are in the dispensation of grace. Dispensation, God is dispensing his grace, his love, his mercy. We have a chance. We still have breath in us. We have a chance. We still have a chance. You know, and I know my brother was not a perfect man. I tell you how sweet and kind he was, but he wasn't a perfect man. He was something else. He was just like me, a sinner who needs a savior. Again, I pray that he had a moment but friends, the fact of the matter is, is God cannot be holy without being just. Scripture tells us about a man who did basically the same thing my brother did. It's in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. It says, there was a certain rich man, Jesus said, who was clothed splendidly and lived each day in myrrh and luxury. One day, Lazarus, a beggar, a diseased beggar, was laid at his door. And as he lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open wounds. Finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham in the place of the righteous dead. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went into hell. There in torment, he saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham. Father Abraham, he shouted, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here, if only to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us, a great divide. And anyone wanting to come to you from here is stopped at its edge, and no one over there can cross to us. Then the rich man said, Oh, Father Abraham, then please send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers. Send him to warn them about this place of torment, lest they come here when they die. But Abraham said, the scriptures have warned them again and again. Your brothers can read them any time they want to. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, they won't bother to read them. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will turn from their sins. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even though someone rises from the dead. Hmm. These verses tell us four important things about hell. Number one, it's a real place. It's a real place. The rich man was in Hades, which is a Greek word for place of the dead. We see the same place mentioned in the Old Testament using the Hebrew word sheol. 
Hell is a real place. It's a real place, a destination. Not Club Med. It's a destination. It's a real place. Number two, you cannot come back. Can't come back. Verse 26 says there's a great divide between heaven and hell, and neither side can cross over. Number three, you will physically know you are there, and you will regret it. Verse 23 says the rich man was in torment and that he begged for relief from heaven, that he was in agony in the flame. All throughout scripture, hell is described as the lake of fire, the eternal fire, the furnace of fire, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't even know what gnashing of teeth means, but it doesn't sound good. Hell is a real place of real physical, forever physical, pain and mental anguish. Verses 27 through 31 tells us that the rich man regretted his decision, his decision to reject Jesus. He begged for someone to be sent from heaven just to warn his brothers because he knew they didn't believe. It was that bad. He didn't want the same thing to happen to them that had happened to him. But you know what? The issue is the same today as it was back then. Because Abraham told him if they didn't listen to the people God had already sent in their lives... They weren't going to listen to someone who rose again from the dead. Is that not the same thing we're faced with today? God sends people into our lives to tell us the good news, to share the truth with us, and to tell us how Jesus came back from the dead to save us for all eternity, to make our future secure in heaven with God. Are we listening? Do we even believe that? It's a mystery. Do we believe the mystery? This leads me to the fourth thing that we learn about hell from this story. You do not get a second chance to change your mind after you die. After you die, you cannot get a second chance. There are some religions and theology out there that say, oh, you get a second. No, no, no. You don't get a second chance. You do not. Do not be fooled. Do not be duped. Do not be tricked. There is no second chance. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm telling you the truth with a capital T. That's my job to tell you the truth. You don't get a second chance. If you remember last week, Pastor Bob was talking about the dying thief on the cross. Remember the dying thief on the cross? He wasn't dead yet. He was dying. And in that moment, he believed. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed that his sins would be forgiven through Jesus, and he accepted that. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, today I will see you in paradise. As long as we have breath in our lungs, it's not too late. It's not too late. As long as our pulse is still there, it's not too late. But once you die, you don't get a second chance. The divide is fixed. There's no crossing back over. And when our days on earth are done, our eternity is determined by then. I know that's a lot to take in. I understand that. And again, it's hard. But I need you to know the truth. Because... What we believe about eternity determines how we live today. We have to get it. We have to get that one point. What we believe about forever, heaven and hell, determines how we live our life right now. Because we tend to think about hell as being this place for like murderers or you know, people that hurt little children or Hitler, people like that, right? We tend to think of hell as a place for those people, Jeffrey Dahmer and all those other people. And we look at our own sin and we say, man, I'm nothing like them. I don't do stuff like that. And then we take it another step even farther. 
and we remind ourselves that God is loving. He's merciful. He's good. He would never send any of us there, right? He wouldn't send nice people there, right? That's what we think. But I want you to consider this. Did you ever stop to think that that just might be the strategy the enemy has had all along? All along. Think about it. Nice people, they won't go to hell. Maybe that's what the devil wants us to think. He's been trying so hard to convince us that hell is only for the really, really bad people. But let's look at who our enemy is. Let's look at who he is, y'all. Remember, John 8, 44 tells us he's a liar. He's the father of all lies. When he's speaking, his native tongue is lies. John 10, 10 tells us his mission is to destroy us. So knowing that he's a liar and he's out to destroy us, why wouldn't he try to trick us or lull us into thinking one of two things? Either hell doesn't really exist or God's not going to send good people there. He wants us to think that we can live any kind of way we want. We can do whatever we want as long as it doesn't hurt other people and we'll be able to spend eternity with God. That's part of his trick. He's a trickster, a schemer, a deceiver. Think about that. He wants us to disbelieve in hell altogether or think it's really not that bad. You see, if he can convince us of either one of those two things, then we'll just live for today. We'll live for the moment. And don't think you wouldn't. Don't think you wouldn't. Scripture tells us over and over, it reminds us, it admonishes us to give, to love, to treat others better than yourself, to prefer others over yourself. Scripture has to tell us that because innately, human beings are selfish. You don't have to teach a little kid, mine, mine, mine. They already know that. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Stop. You have to teach them to share. You have to teach them to love because innately, we are not like that. We are selfish. So even Christians... Even Christians, if we were convinced that God would only send good people or would never send good people to hell, then we would live horribly selfish lives. Why not? If we're good, we're not going to hell. So we'd live for ourselves. We would live horribly selfish lives. And all those people that God sent across our path so that we could share our own salvation story with, so that we could tell about the love and the goodness of Jesus, all those people, if we're living for ourselves like the enemy wants us to, they would never, ever hear the good news of Jesus Christ. If we're living chasing comfort, chasing happiness, whatever we want to do, because it's all about me, 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 if we're doing that, if we believe the trick of the enemy to get us to think that it's okay, then all those people that God sent to us to be able to influence them so that their eternity would be secure, that's not going to happen. We're going to miss that opportunity. If we do not accept the reality of hell, we will never appreciate the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Jesus changes everything. You know, the pain of rejection never fitting in, never being good enough, never always, never able to do the right thing, the pain of rejection, Jesus changes that. And the shame that comes from bad decisions, opportunities lost, time wasted, the shame, Jesus changes that. 
And the fear of the what ifs, what if I've wasted too much time? What if it's too late? What if God's mad at me? What if he's done with me forever? The fear of that, Jesus changes that. Friends, there's nothing, nothing more beautiful than the justice and mercy of God and the grace of God. His justice is amazing because, look, the penalty of our sin is death. But in his grace, Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Mercy is like, you know, you're at school and you get, you know, you're talking back to the teacher and, you know, the teacher tells you, be quiet, be quiet. And then you still don't do it, but the teacher doesn't send you to the principal's office. She says she's going to do it, but she doesn't do it. That's mercy. Grace is this. She sends you to the principal's office anyway, and the principal says, okay, look, don't worry about it. I'm going to let you off this time. That's grace. That's what Jesus did for us. He paid the penalty that we owed. We owed the penalty of death for our sinful lives, for our selfish lives. We owed that. Jesus paid it. That's God's beautiful justice. He sent a way to be paid, not us, through Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty. And get this, he did it while we were still living our lives for ourselves. He did it while we were being selfish. We weren't even thinking about him. And he sent us a savior to pay our penalty. That right there, that right there tells you you haven't done too much. You haven't gone too far. If you've got breath in your lungs, it's not too late. God is still loving you. He is wooing you. God is coming after you. But he's not coming after you to judge you. He's coming after you to save you. To save you. Jesus said, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one gets lost, he leaves the 99 to go look for the one. That's the love, the care, the goodness of our God. And again, I didn't come here to just tell you the horrors of hell. But I need to tell you the truth. And I did come here to tell you about the goodness, the love, the mercy, the power, and the grace of our good, good, loving Father. The holiness and the righteousness of a God that loves you so much. So what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. And if you don't understand the horrors of hell you will never be able to truly appreciate the grace, the high price that Jesus paid for your salvation so that you could live forever with a loving, beautiful Father. That's the message today. There is a way, and it's through Jesus Christ. There's a way to rid the fear, the shame, the rejection, the pain, it's through the loving Savior, Jesus Christ. If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitChurchSA.com give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this.